Hello and welcome to 90 Minutes Definitive European Power Rankings, a podcast where we talk about the 10 best players on the continent, Jack Gallagher. We are doing our first player podcast and not the teams for once. Yeah, I'm excited, but I also think this one will probably annoy people a bit more than the, the team one, to be honest. This when we was were doing the list, do. I did feel it was a wee bit roguer than yeah. perhaps the team one is. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so every month we will be doing the top, the top 10 players across Europe. Um, this is the first edition. And like you said, we made this list a few days ago. I feel like quite a bit's actually kind of happened since we made that list. Um, so we've had to kind of do some quick rejigging at the last minute. Um, hopefully it isn't too melted. I think that it's quite, it's quite an objective list, you know. We haven't gone with any favourites or anything like that. It has no Juventus well, players, well, no Derry City yeah. players, no Tottenham <laughs> players, and no Brantford players. So, you know, as objective as it could be. <laughs> yeah. Okay, should we get it? Should we start with the guys on the cusp who didn't quite make the list? Yes, yes. So I think this is probably where the annoyance is going to come from. Um, because mm. there is pretty much the first players you would think of in terms of uh, ranking the 10 best players in Europe uh, haven't made the cut. Um, one being uh, probably number one for the past about 20 years, probably number one of all time, uh, Lionel Messi didn't make the cut. Um, and with him, Kylian Mbappe didn't make the cut either. Um, you know, like PSG are just a complete mess at the minute. I watched mm. their game, covered the game uh, on Sunday, and they were a complete utter disaster. And Messi wasn't great. Mbappe wasn't great. He scored, but it was a bit of a Robbie Keane versus no, who was it? Yeah, Robbie Keane versus Shea Given was it? I can't remember who it was, but it was that sort of goal where the ball was rolled out and. Uh, oh yeah, he comes in from behind. Yeah, 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 yeah. That one. Yeah. Oh, Shea Given was the Dion Dublin one because I remember the joke being <laughs> uh, Shea Given's the only Irish man who doesn't know where Dublin is. I think that was the joke. <laughs> so. Yeah, so um, no PSG players made the cut. Uh, just they just haven't been great at all. Um, I was so so disappointed with them um, at the weekend and stuff. Like you know, um, as a setup, uh, they're not very well set up. Uh, the manager Christoph Galtier hasn't done a great job in the slightest. But you do still expect the individuals to kind of pull them out most of the time. Yeah. Um, and they haven't really been doing it as much as um, you'd perhaps hoped or expected them to um, in recent weeks and months. Yeah, I guess it's part of it as well. Because they're out of the Champions League, they're not playing games that we kind of really care about. There isn't really a title race. That The gap is down to five points, I think, with Marseille. But I think it would take something kind of next level for PSG to throw away from here. We don't really... We don't even like see like kind of clips of Messi or Mbappe doing these amazing things anymore. It does feel like... PSG just stumbling towards the end of the season, trying and yeah. failing not to just find another disaster. There's always something going on. Um, there's a story in L'Equipe today that Messi skipped training on Monday because he had to go to Saudi Arabia as part of his contract with the tourist board and PSG weren't very happy with that. So it's, it's a complete mess. It's a really good example of you can have all the money in the world. It does not matter if you don't have a strategy. Exactly. Yeah. And PSG have not had a strategy for our about 15 years at this point. It's mad how long they've been yeah. this rich. Going, like, yeah. going on just terms of pure ability, those are probably the two best players in the world. And it's and they kind of headlined the World Cup final, one of the best World Cup finals ever, one of the best games of football ever. And yet it just can't come together. Yeah. So, really nice. Yeah, yeah. So, not this month, but maybe next month. We'll see. We'll see. They might up their game slightly. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Um, and along with Emmons as well, I think... Uh, 
two of the ones that if we had started this a few months ago, probably would have been top three, the both of them, mm. uh, is Victor Osserman and Kavitska Korachvelia. Um, Napoli have kind of pe- uh, teetered out a bit in recent weeks. They're, I think they're quite lucky that um, they were so outrageously good up until like April. So they were. Um, mm. And along with that, Victor Osman had his injury. He's come back. He's not been quite at the level. And uh, Kavarasvelia, the end products, kind of wavered slightly in recent weeks. But still two great players. And we're not saying they're bad by not being the top 10. Not being one of the top 10 players in Europe in April doesn't mean you're a bad footballer. It just means <laughs> you're not in the top 10 in April. Yeah, it's a very a distinction there. Um, and I've, I've seen stuff recently about... Um... Australia in particular, people saying that it's later in the season, people might have figured out how to defend him a bit more. He has to go at more double teams. You know, how does he bring others into play? And obviously, there's a big period where he wasn't playing with Osimhen because he was injured. So, yeah, the inferior players and Napoli have had a few other injury problems as well. So that's probably taken effect on it as well. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Sean, will we crack into this number ten? Let's crack into the top ten. There's someone that you were very adamant that you wanted on this list that. It's probably the roguish shout on here, but I know that you're very determined to make the case for this player. Yeah, I had to get him in. I think um, one thing that's kind of forgotten about when a lot of people rank the best players in the world and all, like we were talking about there now, the two best players in the world, probably pure talent or two forwards, Messi and Mbappe. Um, But more defensive positions are kind of forgotten about a lot of times. And the players that are really, really, really great at their jobs in defensive areas are generally forgotten about and not thought as thought of as highly as a striker and all and there is definitely good reasons for that like they don't score the goals and stuff but um in terms of players who um made the most talent contributions in april um i think davide calabria who's our number 10 made some of the most talent contributions in the month um we we're just talking about gavaric Velia. um them two had a an incredible battle over two legs in the Champions League and Calabria completely pocketed him essentially for both legs, kept him so quiet, um, is the leader of that Milan defence, which has looked so solid in the Champions League and um, in Serie A as well. And yeah, just, just a proper throwback classic Italian defender who's got that winning mentality about him, which um, I think a lot of um, Italian players in general over the past 10-15 years uh, haven't really shown that many times, uh, particularly when you look at at least record at World Cups um, in recent years. But Davide Calabria seems like the type of um, fullback who you could slot in the Syria back in like 2001-2002 and he would probably still stand out as one of the better fullbacks in the league. So I thought he was worth a mention this month. He's not the sort of player that will be in it next month or the month after or whatever. Um, well, obviously, like players will score goals and they'll make the cut instead of them. But um, I thought he was definitely worth a mention this month because I think in terms of um, all-time great fullback performances in the Champions League, um, I think his performances against Napoli will go quietly on the radar for a while. But looking back on performances, they'll probably be right up there. So they will. There's a little bit as well, I think, that He's had quite, maybe unspectacular is a harsh word, but someone who's, he's just always kind of been at Milan. He's just been kind of moseying around. He There's been seasons where, you know, he's been a regular star. So there's been seasons where he hasn't been, injuries, all this other stuff. Um, you kind of just forget that he's there a little bit. Um, 
So I understand why this will come as a shock. But like you said, if you watch those two games and this, they're always on the same night as Real Madrid Chelsea, and I thought that these two games will probably have come on of a more intriguing watch. You would have noticed that you you can't you can't just luck into these performances against these really top wingers on the big stage. I think that's really yeah. it's a really really big thing. Yeah, especially in in two games, like uh, you can get a fluke performance in one game. Mm, um, mm. We've seen plenty down the years, um, but they do it in two games. It shows that he was, um, in terms of his position, he was better at his position than Gavara's failure was at his. And that sounds mad, but it's true. And I think I think a defender like Calabria, um, what I was mentioning about throwback and stuff. I think because he's not um, like a Trent or a Reese James or that really, really offensive right back and left mm. back in general, who've been quite uh, in vogue the past five, 10 years, um, he kind of is forgotten about a lot. But um, the defensive side of the game is still super important for that position. And there's very few, if any, that are better at the defensive side of the ball than Calabria in terms of fullbacks. Mm. Yeah, just the perfect foil for Carlos Ray in that sense, because you know if it, you did have an attacking right back who was just bombing on all the time, that's a completely different game. It's a completely different tie. Yeah, yeah, they lose that game. Yeah, they so definitely the do. Perf- yeah. Perfect there. Okay, should we move on to number nine? Let's do number nine, Sean. Uh, you were quite a big advocate of this guy, so I'm going to let mm. give you the floor for number nine. Well, yeah, we talked about this team a lot on the the team power rankings pods that they've quietly gone about their business since going out of Europe. Um, this player himself reinvented himself for the world cup and has started to find his feet again in his kind of more natural position. I'm talking about Antoine Griezmann of Atletico Madrid. Um, they won five of their six games last month. The only loss they had was away at Barcelona and everyone loses one nil to Barcelona in these days. You can forgive that. Um, you got two goals towards the start of the month, the end of the month with four assists in his last two games to really kind of just, pull that letty through there they now have a half a decent shot of coming by Real Madrid in the Liga so he's just like we 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 actually did talk about him quite at length for a couple of pods ago I do remember actually where we just were in awe of the ability to kind of almost admit your past mistakes and go back to like the way things were it would have been very easy for Griezmann to you know, forced the move to Barcelona the way he did to just stay at Barcelona earning a lot of money without actually doing a lot because, let's face it, he was never a natural fit for that team. But he's gone back to Atletico. He's gone back to a place that was his home. Um, and he's kind of, he's had to make amends with those those passionate fans there. And it's really impressive that he has slotted back into that role with France. He's a bit, a bit more deeper in midfield, but he's still putting these high performances. And, you know, he's, you need to double check actually. How old is he now? Probably the wrong side of 30, right? I would guess he's 31. That would be my guess. He turned 32 last month. Just turned 32. We but the, thing, the, other, the other thing that's reached out to me is that he went back on loan there last season and he was awful. Yeah, I think terrible. Just, yeah. Look at, just looking up, three goals in 26 La Liga games. Mm-hmm. That's horrendous. And there was all this talk about, you know, getting him back on the cheap and all blah, blah, blah. And he's come out firing this, this season. So... To reverse your decline, I really do like it when players they look like they're done, but they f- just find it somewhere within themselves to just come back like that. I really yeah. enjoy watching that. I think the, I think the best comparison uh, to make for Griezmann is probably his career trajectory in comparison to Neymar, roughly the same age, uh, profiles roughly the same, um, like mid twenty tens. 
um, to regard as the two best players aside from uh, Messi and Ronaldo in the world and both kind of made the wrong, perhaps the wrong move in their career and while one kind of has coasted a lot in recent seasons, in recent years, um, Griezmann has, he did that for a while but has come back to Athletic Madrid and like you said, um, kind of refined um, why he wants to play football and why he wants to be one of the best footballers in the world and because of that uh, reignite reigniting that passion in him um, he's been able to become one of the better players in the world again and that's why he's in our top 10 this month and someone who maybe unlike Calabria will be in it time and time again we would imagine if he keeps his current performance level up yeah I'd, I'd be really interested to see how Atletico fare in the Champions League next year because it feels like they've gone a while without like a really major scalp I know they knocked out Man United last year um, but I thought they underperformed they got knocked out by Chelsea in the year that they went on to win it they got knocked out in the like the bubble Champions League they got knocked out by Leipzig which I thought was a real shock after they did such a good job on Liverpool it feels like we're overdue a deep Atletico run where they just become the kind of ultimate shithouses of Europe again so I'm looking forward to that for the next season I miss a good Atletico Madrid run in the Champions League it's so well. good isn't it it's just so, so kind fun. of enthralling yeah there's so because it's one of those things where maybe week to week, that team isn't that fun to watch. But in those high leverage games, when those players are just mm. defending for their lives and catching teams in the break and stuff in that typical Diego Simeone fashion, there's not many better spectacles than that. You think back to those Bayern games in the Champions League semifinals and things yeah. where Godin and Felipe Luis and all were having like all-time great defensive performances. Uh you want that in the Champions League, so fingers crossed they can do the same again next year. They they look to be setting up in that direction again. I think they have a lot more balance to their squad and stuff. And the Soyuncu signing might be quietly a really clever signing for them. I want to see it to believe it. I want to see him in that Simeone yeah. kind of style. Yeah. It's one of those ones where if anyone can get it out of him, it's probably True. Simeone. And if he True. can't, no one ever will again. Yeah, so yeah, won't. yeah. Go twenty nineteen was a fever dream. Yeah, team of the year, yeah. Matt. <laughs> okay, moving on to number eight, someone who will probably be joining Griezmann in the Champions League next year. And someone I raved about in the last pod, Alexander Isak of Newcastle United. Just a gorgeous player to watch. You know, he's got everything. He's six foot five. He can dribble. He can run. He can do. He has all sorts of finishes in his arsenal. Um, he scored four goals, got one assist last month. Newcastle looks set to kind of wrap up third place, I think. I think that's quite safe in their hands and it seems it seems like he's just exploded again you know he came off a kind of disappointing season from Real Sociedad last year you know I think he only registered double, single figures of goals in the league with three questions about was it an overpay and for the first half of the season more questions about that because he was injured quite a lot but second half of the season he's undoubtedly been one of the best players in the Premier League 100%, 100%. And I feel like um, a lot of the Newcastle players, um, and this is no disrespect to a lot of players, but players like uh, Miguel Almiron, Jacob Murphy, and that kind of <laughs> Elka player have like, really massively overperformed. I understand what you mean. <laughs> you get what I mean. You know, they're good players, but they're not top three in the Premier League type of players, but they've played to that level this season and in stretches. Whereas with Alexander Isaac um, in this current iteration of Isaac playing as well as he is. And like you said, four goals and one assist in the month. 
it feels like that's his level. And when they go to the Champions League, it feels like he'll still be the guy who's going and winning any of those games. And I'm sure they will won quite a lot of games in the Champions League. We were talking about in the last Team Power Rankings podcast how there is a there is scope for them to go to, say, a quarterfinal and kind of ride a wave of the St. James's Park atmosphere and then also ride the wave of the talent of players like Alexander Isaac and Bruno Guimaraes. I think the other thing that I do love about Isak as well is that I don't think he sees... Callum Wilson's a rival. I think he sees him as a genuine kind of competitor teammate because they can play really well together. Like I talked a few weeks ago about when I saw them at Brentford when the one two one Wilson came on at half time and it completely changed the game. They worked so well. They both knew when to drop, when to go long, when to go short. They had this real great understanding, which hasn't come from a lot of time on the play on the pitch together. It has suddenly really blossomed in the last couple of months. And then obviously they had the Everton game the other day where you know, particularly Isak's assist for outrageous. The third of four, it's just mental, yeah, just unbelievable levels of technique to do that, especially when you're that tall. It's it's ludicrous. Yeah, he's got a lot of, and I know it's a big, lofty comparison, and I know it's an easy comparison as well because of his nationality, but he does yeah. have a lot of that Slatan. He really does and talent yeah. for his size and stuff. I know he's not been as. Uh, ruthless in front of the goal as Latin perhaps was at this point in his career. But, you know, being like a slightly not as good Zlatan Ibrahimovic, that's still a pretty good level to be at. So <laughs> I'll take that. <laughs> you would take that, yeah. And I would take being like, what, six foot five or whatever he is. I would take that in a heartbeat. He seems like he has a real kind of edge to him, you know, the celebration against Spurs, but he's just kind of looking around like, what's going on? Like, I, I do like when players have that kind of personality as well. Obviously, I don't like him when he's scoring the... Fifth exactly. team, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can appreciate it. Yeah, maybe show the personality against someone else like Chelsea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, they got Arsenal soon, so hopefully against them. Yeah, so Sean on the uh number seven, and we're staying in the Premier League for another uh forward player who's played really, really well recently and and perhaps like quietly well because mm. he's not quite maybe at the standard he was a few years ago, Sean. Yeah, it reminds me of a player that we're going to talk about later in this pod as well, in that we've come to expect so much that if they aren't kind of popping off the screen with, you know, performances which scream best player in the world kind of stuff, um, you wonder what's going on. Uh, This is Mohamed Salah, who, I think just to stay on this point, first half of last season, I remember there was a lot of talk about him being the best player in the world, you know, could he make a Ballon d'Or run if Liverpool, you know, won lots of trophies and you imagine he probably would have been in that conversation if they had won the quadruple. You probably would have been his because he did score so many goals. His performances, he's just so strong. I've never seen that kind of combination of strength and pace from a tricky winger who's not that kind of big. Against Spurs at the weekend, he scored um, from the penalty spot. It was his first penalty in the Premier League season, which was quite surprising. Um, but it was just like players were bouncing off him. And I think this is kind of a good argument for why he deserved the big contract that he did because he doesn't look like someone who's going to age poorly. I think if I think a lot of Liverpool's problems are that they haven't been able to consistently find the two other good attackers in their front line. You think now Cody Gakpo looks really good. I know you were raving about yeah. him when you saw him last week. Yeah, really So impressive. if that's one spot, Luis Diaz is back and it looks like he's going to be like his old self. If that would be such a huge thing as well because for the six months that he was in the team last year, just... Electric. Showtime kind of player, just unbelievable. Yeah. I love those wingers that have that kind of electricity to them. Um, 
so I think Salah, I think Salah will be in these rankings for a long time still. I think his his game is going to age quite gracefully. Yeah, because he is quick, but he's not like reliant on being quick. Um, mm. He is more reliant on his strength and his technique, and it just has that knack, the, that Iron Robin style knack, where you you pretty much always know he will go inside, but it's really hard to stop him when he's so small and strong and hard to get off the ball anyways. Um, yeah, he's. Yeah, I think you're 100% right in terms of oh, he was the one that was deserving of the contract because he's the one that you can't imagine them being able to replace. Where do you go mm. out and get an R. Mohamed Salah? Whereas when you look at a player like Sadio Mane and you already had Luis Diaz um, on the bench and coming on and playing quite a lot, it's slightly easier to replace. You can imagine replacing him. In terms of Robbie Firmino, uh, I think, like I was saying in the podcast recently, was at the West Ham Liverpool game and thought he was exceptional and he's really slotted into that false nine rule perfectly. And you have to forget Robbie Firmino was still even on the books there because Cody Gak was playing so well. So 100% he's, uh, Salah's the guy in that front three that was the generational talent that, and had such a specific skill set that your team's kind of built around that you're not going to be able to find someone else to plug and play again. When it comes to the time where he leaves Liverpool or retires or whatever, in whatever capacity he leaves the club in, they will have to completely change the dynamics of the football team in order mm, to get someone yeah. else to play there. Yeah, because it's so hard finding those left foot wingers to play on the right. Um, because, like you say, it, you get a bit Robin Esque where it becomes quite easy to pin them down you see that a lot with mid-table wingers they just don't have that kind of unpredictability to them I think what makes Salah so special in that regard I think is it's not just a bit of Robin it's a little bit of Messi and that the way that he can quickly just take a t- touch with his left foot just to give himself a bit of space and then just hit it so quickly almost in one motion there aren't a lot of players that can do that with either foot there's really a limited amount I remember I was at Watford versus Liverpool last season in the first half of last season and it was one of the best performances I've ever seen from anyone. And I just came away from it thinking, Salah is just so up there. And it was back in the time when they were talking about, is he going to leave the end of the season because of the contract and all that stuff? And it was just like, you have to keep him. You really, really have to keep him. It's so special. There's so few players that will ever be able to do what he can do. It's going to be it's going to be really interesting when he does retire, when he does leave the Premier League, where he's going to rank all-time Premier League players. Because... I think it's very easy, um, and I think it, there's a weird dynamic where obviously the first people you think is the greatest Premier League players of all time are the players from the late 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. The main one that always comes to mind is Thierry Henry. The, the second one that always comes to mind is probably Alan Shearer. But when you look at the uh, scale of stuff that Salah's done in the league, his consistency in front of goal, how he's completely turned that club around in a lot of ways, um, he's got to be right up there. Like he has to be at least top ten, and I would hazard a guess by the time he retires, he'll be top five at least. His stats are absolutely insane. If you just go on like his Wikipedia or FBRF or Transfermarkt anywhere, just to look at them, just every single year, double figures of goals, easy, not even a question. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that is hard to do. That's really hard to do. I think you go on two, three golden boots, maybe. I three? think it might be three because it, it, I think it's three. he had that one, one last joint season. with yeah, and he had one joint yeah. with Manny. Manny and Abamyang. Yeah, and yeah, then, yeah. They, then in his first year at Liverpool, he won. He got the the record with thirty two goals. Um, so I think just on your point about um, best Premier League teams of all time, 
what are the other right wingers that are competing with him really for that role? I mean, Beckham? The, the one Beckham, so on, he would come to mind immediately. But I, I think it's pretty easy to say at this point that um, Mohamed Salah has been a better footballer than David Beckham throughout his career, mm. and that's so. David Beckham set in such high regard, and he's a more culturally important footballer. A little bit um, underrated but, now as well. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. But in terms of output um, for attacking players, you can't. You just, you, you just like you said, you look at Salah's Wikipedia page, and you, all you can do is gawk at it and and see the stats and see the numbers and see the football that um, Liverpool have played because he's been in the side as well. Can't be underestimated as well. They played some of the better football we've ever seen in the league while Salah's been in that team and he's been the the main catalyst for that. Yeah. Okay, I'm done talking about a Liverpool player for one day after the weekend. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, let's move on to number six. Someone that you have been, another player that you've been raving about from Milan, Jack. Yeah, an all AC Milan player. Um, so this one's an all quite obvious one. Uh, I think an all defensive player, but like I was saying, um, those players deserve we mentioned here and then now and again as well, so they do. And the one in uh, number six is Mike Manuel, um, who, in a lot of respects, I think could possibly be the best goalkeeper in the world right now. At at the very very least, he's in the conversation, and he's in that conversation when you whittle it down to the top two or three. He's one of the top two or three that has to be there, and I think the main reason for that is just his general. Aura in games, uh, if, and I'm sure a lot of people have watched AC Milan recently, particularly in the Champions League, and it never feels like he will concede. He just mm. seems unbeatable, and not a lot of goalkeepers have that at any point in the career. And the fact that he has that now, at probably the most important part of his career, like going on the Champions League semi-final against Inter, you know that's going to be a really close game, but. In my head, I can't really actively imagine any Inter player scoring against Mike Magnon coming up because he just looks completely unbeatable. I remember um, they played against uh, Ireland recently, France, and he's just recently taken over the mantle from Hugo Lloris. Mm. He made the most outrageous save in the last minute of the game, and it was one of those ones where, yeah, look, Hugo Lloris will go down as um, one of the greatest uh, French international players of all time, but already you can see why... Mike Magnon for so long for like people in uh, who've been watching Liga when he was there and for people who've been watching Syria the past few years have been so baffled by the fact that Hugo Lloris was still starting ahead of him even though he's the captain it, it just it it never made sense so now it's good I think it's quite scary looking forward for um, going into these next Euros and the next World Cup and the fact that now France are going to be playing a goalkeeper of that level and they know that their goalkeeper now doesn't have a mistake in him now and again. Yeah. And I think what you mentioned at the start about the aura, we need to, we need to come up with a new word because I'm, I think the Van Dyke sleeve we talked from earlier this season has killed that word for me. Oh, um, yeah, for sure. Something <laughs> like, like something, it's like, like presence, but presence doesn't quite have that kind of same emphasis on it. But something like that, we'll, we'll work on that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's very, you're right, there's very few keepers who in their career have that just ability to make themselves look or feel about six inches taller than they actually are. And that's a really, you know me, I'm a fan, I'm a big fan of a six foot goalkeeper who <laughs> has, is, does a lot of that. So yeah, I value yeah. that. Um, yeah, 100%. And the thing that I always think of is, it's, this, is, this is a bit of a weird anecdote, but 
there was, there was only ever one year where I played FIFA Ultimate Team, and it was FIFA 14. And I remember, I, I remember like having total confidence I could beat anyone. But if a, another team had Manuel Neuer as their goalie, I knew it was over. I knew it wasn't scoring. It's like that kind of feeling. Like um, I think you could probably say Allison has had that for the past few years with Liverpool. Um, De Gea might have had it for a little bit at Man United. He has a few weaknesses, but in terms of shot stopping, there were games that he would just nothing was going to go in. I think beyond that, you know, Petr Cech, early Chelsea days. Superb goalkeeper. Peach Mark was before my time, but by all accounts, there's someone who had that kind of same thing as well. And Manion, you're right, already has that seniority to him. Even though he's quite young in terms of a goalkeeper, he's still quite inexperienced. You think that he, this is someone that's going to dominate the 2020s in terms of scooping these big awards, you know, the goalkeeper of the year, the UEFA stuff, the FIFA stuff, the Ballon d'Or stuff. Yeah, he definitely has. The, and uh, I think the, the, the thing that really stood what you said there is the looking six inches taller and it is that mm. thing where I don't know see when you have a goalkeeper like that and you go on the penalty shootout and yes that's exactly what I'm thinking yeah yeah it's when you go on the penalty shootout and it you look at the players and obviously the the striker the attacker is always the favorite in that situation that's why like when a goalkeeper saves it it's feels like such a bigger deal than when a attacker scores a penalty um but when a player like him has that presence has that feeling of being half a foot taller than they actually are when you see the goal for some reason the goal looks so much smaller on TV just because you have a guy who's in that space and time in their career in yeah. goal and I just I, it is one of those things that you just can't imagine someone scored against these players and when someone scores it feels like how did they do that it, I think the, the main example I always go back to um, in terms of players that ever had that uh I've got to say aura, I'm sorry, Sean. <laughs> ever, had, <laughs> ever had that aura about them? Um, was during the 2006 uh, World Cup when Buffon was uh, in goal for Italy and he only conceded two goals and one of them was a freak Sicardo uh, own goal. Yeah, and yeah. the other was a Zidane penalty in the World Cup. That was it. And when you, yeah. when you look at that, that, that's the sort of level we're kind of looking at here where it just doesn't feel like a guy can ever can see a goal and uh, I think Mike Magnon has that right now maybe not to the same scale that Buffon had it back then but yeah. he's, he's, he's he's near enough it to uh, warrant <laughs> a lot of praise for having it yeah I think he's going to have a big say in this Champions League tie for sure there's going to be yeah. chances for Lukaku for Lutaro Martinez for whoever and Magnon is going to have a big say in this tie he's going to have at least one big say for sure 100% 100% so, Shani, will we go on to number five, other end of the park, back to the Premier League, a guy mm. you know and love and that we've talked about quite a few times in the other podcast. Indeed. Ollie Watkins of Aston Villa. Um, called off a bit towards the month ended, um, but I think that was kind of understandable. And Aston Villa as a team kind of regressed a little, but uh, it felt like he was scoring every single week for about six months, um, ever since Unai Emery came in. Yeah, Unai Emery came in, really. Um, big goals against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge against Newcastle in one of the best performances I've seen all season from any team anywhere um, almost I wouldn't say redefined himself as a striker because I think that's been kind of the story of his last four or five years and I've detailed it on one of the other pods that we did recently but he just looks way more intimidating he looks he's got kind of a bit between his teeth he's really he just looks stronger. The way we talked about Mannion looks six inches taller. Watkins looks like he's put on like five stone of muscle somewhere. 
and he just like you just think he's going to dominate aerial duels. He's going to run the channels, and he has enough kind of power in him to kind of find the net from anywhere. I do like that he has this kind of almost trademark finish now. Um, but the best example was a couple months ago against Arsenal when he opened the scoring. Oh yeah, yeah. He yeah. he's running on he's running outside, takes one touch back in, and then just hits it straight away. <clears throat> and I really like when. I love it when strikers do that. We just talked about Salah doing that. My favourite version of Harry Kane, um, literally take the shot at the earliest possible opportunity. The keeper won't yeah. be ready. And Watkins Back has when, definitely added that to his game. I just remember Harry Kane doing that and it used to always, always go through a, a defender's legs every time. Mm, yeah. And it was like, how, how does he do this every single time? But yeah, he definitely has that or he doesn't have that thing about him all at the minute. And that, like you said about the strength, when you look back and... Um, say this time last year, um, that Newcastle game where he uh, dropped to the back post and he was up against yeah. two Newcastle defenders and was really struggling both off and, and play the ball, knock the ball back for Jacob Ramsey. I don't think Ollie Watkins from a year ago does that. And it's mm. interesting because he doesn't look bigger or anything, but like you said, he just has that more of a presence and more of a, I think it's more of like a confidence in his own body and yeah. his own ability now. Um, like you said, it, about having more of a bit between his teeth, I think a lot of it is just that. It's he's kind of he has always had the tools. He's always had the ability to run him behind. He's always been quite clinical in front of goal. He's probably always had the strength too. They hold players off and bring others, and they play. But it's just putting all those things together and realizing that you have them all. Perhaps mm. a harder thing to do than us looking. Uh, from outside looking in, imagine, especially when, um, like you said about playing FIFA and all back in the day, you see these stats on these players and these cards yeah. and be like, oh, well, Ollie Watkins has 85 pace and uh, 81 shooting. He should be doing this every single time in every single game, but football just doesn't really work like that. The the yeah. stats are actually more up and down than you imagine and, and actually utilizing those stats. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Time, time and time again, it's really, really hard for a player, but it feels like he's finally realized what he is as a player and what he can be as a player, and he's just executing so much better than he ever had before. Yeah, I'd love to sit down and interview him about, like we talked about in the recent pods, um, the transition from being a number 10 to a winger, to a striker, to, you know, he was playing in a two a lot with Danny Ings last season. He was playing off him quite a bit, a bit on the wing again. But I do think now it's almost as if he's been energised and motivated by Emery coming in and selling Ings at the first possible opportunity, almost just Mm -hmm. to say, you are my striker. I believe in you. You are the you are the way forward. You're going to lead this team. I do wonder how much of an effect that's had on them. I'm quite interested about these Tammy Abraham links too because I feel like 
Um, they make a lot of sense in terms of the fact that he'd been there before and um, yeah. Aston Villa are probably going to be playing at a slightly higher level next year. They look like they're going to qualify for European competition, which is an astonishing achievement for a club considering where they were yeah. under Steven Gerrard. But <laughs> I feel like I wouldn't go out and get another striker. I feel like the reason, like you said, the reason why Ollie Watkins has been so good is the confidence that MRI's given him and said to him, you're my number one guy. This team will make sure that you score goals and you alone. And if you bring an all player in, you start rotating them in and out. I think you might think that, okay, if Ollie Watkins plays half the games, he'll score half the goals. But it doesn't really work like that. Like, he'll play half the games and maybe score like a, like a quarter of the goals or something. Mm. it. And for the sacrifice of that, I probably wouldn't go out and get an R striker, maybe get more complimentary pieces around him, get a few yeah. more wide players and things that can more consistently get the ball into the box for him. Yeah, it does feel like. I'm just going to double check so I'm not making this up. But yeah, Watkins has consistently played pretty much every game in every season that he's played. He does feel like someone who is kind of built to do that. He wants to play every game. When he was at Brentford, I do know that he had like his running stats were off the scale for like a, a forward player. So I, I never really understood when they brought in Ings in the first place. And it would be weird if they just they got a big transfer budget and were just like, we need another striker. It's just like it'd be such a weird use of resources. Yeah, they need so many other things. So they do. Yeah. Well, they, the only thing they probably don't need is a striker. So yeah, that's really yeah, in fine. terms of building out a squad, it, like you said, if if I Watkins isn't a guy who's ever been injury prone, as a guy who's played so many so many games and so much football and is a willing runner as well, yeah. and kind of be like, okay, that's. Let's start Emmy Martinez. Let's start Ollie Watkins, and then we'll rotate the rest as and when. Everything in between. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, should we move on to number four? Let's move on to number four, Sean. And another striker in very, very good form, but form that maybe because Real Madrid have been so either electric or dire in the past month, in particular, it's kind of half forgot about some of this stuff I think as well because it's been such a long month of football um, yeah, that sure. some performances earlier in the month you kind of they feel like a fever dream because fo- there's just been so a ridiculous amount of football this month great so at number four, the month at Chelsea I'll just say that's that ridiculous. that's how long like, this month was that's insane that feels like <laughs> That feels like it never happened. That feels like it was like <laughs> 10 years ago. Like Frank Lampard's been their manager all yeah, season. Yeah. Scary. But anyways, who we have in number four is Karen Benzema, who rather amazingly has scored three hat-tricks in the last month. Um, less amazingly, one of them was against Real Valladolid. Um, even less amazingly, one of them was against Almira, who, <laughs> you know, not very good teams, all things considered. But they all are one was against um, the team who's thoroughly dominated uh, Spanish football this season, and that's Barcelona. And in terms of like best uh, performances at club level this season, I don't think you'll see many, if any, better than Karim Benzema's second-half performance in that El Clasico. It was a yeah. Copa del Rey second leg. They, had, uh, they were behind in the tie, and he completely dragged them from the death to go and win that game. And it's just overall play his ability to drop in, his ability to link up play, and how outrageously ruthless he's become in the past few years in front of goal. Uh, it was a totally complete performance against Barcelona, and it's just it's an, it's astonishing as well when you consider his age and the fact that 
yes, he might not do it every single week anymore. Same way with Modric, same way with Tony Cruz, and the same way with that Real Madrid team in general. But when they pick their battles and when they pick the right battle, like the Barcelona game, and like we also scored against Chelsea, he scored those goals against Liverpool a few months ago as well. When they pick their battles, they will go out and beat anyone and outperform anyone. And if he's like, obviously Benzema's coming into this month, he has two games against Man City. I highly, highly doubt that he'll play a lot of Liga football this month. But in those two games, you can pretty much bet the house on the fact that he will at least score one goal over those two legs. Whether or not Mm. his performance will be enough remains to be seen because of how good Man City has been in recent times. But if one guy can do it in Europe, if one guy can go out and win you a two-legged tie in the Champions League right now, it is Karan Benzema. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned the the hat-trick against Barcelona. That can't be understated, considering Barcelona considering that Barcelona have conceded basically three goals all season. Yeah. For him to have scored three on his own in that game. A real kind of statement performance. You know, I think Real Madrid basically conceded the title to Barcelona, but this was all real kind of warning shot. It was almost like the reverse of when Barcelona won 4 0 uh, the Bernabeu this time last year, where it was like, okay, you can have this season, you can have the glory this season, but let just just so you know, we're not done. We're coming back. This isn't this isn't a crisis. We're not we're not finished. And yeah. I think that was definitely the same from Real Madrid here that there's still a chance that they can go one and win the Champions League this season. They still have a lot of good players. Even if they're not going to retain La Liga, but you can bet that they're going to do something this summer and now they'll be right in it next season. Because, you know, Barcelona, uh, financial issues, you're still there. Messi, come, Messi might come back and that might disrupt the the flow of the team. I don't think I would do it if I was in charge of transfers there. It doesn't seem like kind of something worth doing anymore. Doesn't make sense at all. No. You see the way that team functions as well. It's yeah. such a belt from the back football team and fitting a player like an... They can't afford a luxury player with the way they play, mm. and the cost basically Messi is a luxury player at this point. Like he doesn't do the running <laughs> yeah. he used to do like fifteen odd years ago, um, so it, it wouldn't make sense. And I think it would really upset the balance of that team. And it's something that I think they probably will do. <laughs> it's a very Barcelona <laughs> thing to do. Yeah, yeah. It's a very Barcelona thing. They not understand the football team that you are, and then plug in something and it doesn't work. They've done it so many times over the past ten years, but. Like you said, Real Madrid, they know who they are. They know uh, when to be Real Madrid. And that game in particular, that Real Madrid-Barcelona one, they won 4-1 at 4-0 at Kempney. It did feel like that. It did feel like a big warning sign of like, you know, Barcelona, you are this many points clear in the league. Great. It, you've, you've done it by beating teams like Girona and Real Valladolid and those sorts of teams. But when it comes to playing a team like uh, Real Madrid in these really, really super high leverage games, Real Madrid are probably still the better team overall. So they are, and that was a, a wee nudge in that direction. So it was that game. Yeah. And like you said, I definitely back Benzema to have some sort of say in that Champions League semi final as well. So yeah, it's going to be a miracle if they keep him quiet, like a literal miracle. Mm. So should we move on to number three? Someone else who's also, also going to be in that Champions League tie? Yes. So, uh, at number three, we have Kevin De Bruyne, who I think at this point it's pretty inarguable that he's the best midfielder in the world. I don't mm. think anyone. There's not even a conversation to be had there at that point where it's. Like, I don't know who could do what he could do. I don't yeah, know who no else. No one else is, can do it. Yeah. 
No one else. Uh, this change in formation, it feels like for Pep, is a lot of it feels like it's been the unlock uh, Kevin De Bruyne and Gundogan. A lot that mm. feels like that team is set up to get the most out of those two players. And it's certainly got the most out of De Bruyne in particular. Um, in the last month, five goals, three assists. It's now five more assists than anyone else in the Premier League. Is it 16? I think Saka is like 11. And the main thing about those numbers, those numbers sound good anyways, but the fact that those numbers were got in the high leverage games and the games that really, really matter, particularly against Arsenal, where he scored two against Arsenal. And in that game, you've seen how much better Kevin Dorbrano was than any of the Arsenal midfielders. And there were a lot of midfielders who have been titled all season as being some of the better players in the league. Particularly, the comparisons been made between Martin Odegaard and Kevin De Bruyne. Um, Martin Odegaard is a fantastic player, no doubt about it. But there is a level above, and mm. Kevin De Bruyne is on that level above. And it's not to say that Odegaard cannot get to that level at any point, but it is to say that right here and now, a player like Odegaard can't hold a candle to a player of Kevin De Bruyne's ability, and, and not a lot of other players can. So he can't. You mentioned their 16 assists, and we were ch- attack- oh, chatting about this off air. It, it's kind of snuck up on you that the amount of assists that he's racked up because there's not a lot of fanfare about what he's doing. Maybe that's a bit because of Haaland's taking all that kind of attention, but it, it does feel like we're at a stage where maybe he's not the same physically. I know Pep's talked about before, he needs, to, he needs more rest between games. He looks like he's going to be um, an injury doubts play West Ham in midweek. Um, it does feel a bit like he's just on another level of legend that we don't need to think about him. We just know that he's there. Almost like with the the, the midfielders at Real Madrid, you know, Cruz and Modric, you don't have to... You can just rely on them. You know what you're getting from them. And I don't think we can go through this segment without debating, is he the best midfielder to have played in the Premier League? I was just about to bring it up because we were talking about Salah <laughs> earlier and I was like, we're kind of all on that. Yeah. That's kind of where we're at right now in this podcast. He's definitely in the conversation. It's one of those ones, like I said, about Salah where um, it's hard to say no because he's mm. still playing. Still has a lot to do. And I think he will do quite a lot. I think he's going to win the treble this year, for example. Um, but the natural inclination is the like I said about Salah is to go to those late nineties, early two thousands players yeah. and kind of rate those above any other player. And I think the reason for that is because of that generation of footballers was so outrageously gifted where it felt like these players were playing against some of the best players of all time at the same time. Whereas perhaps the Bruyne hasn't really had that level of opposition that perhaps uh, Patrick Vieira or Roy Keane or someone like that has had consistently week to week. So I think there is a debate there, but it's one of those ones and you see it all the time and a lot of, a lot of places do it, or I'm sure we'll do it at some point where we'll sit down and try to work out our own specific Premier League all time 11s. He's someone that there are sometimes when someone does a team like that and the lad and someone really rogue, and it'll favor the other place and everyone will kind of look at you and be like, what are you doing? I don't think De Bruyne is one of these players anymore. I think anyone could put De Bruyne in an all-time Premier League 11 and you would just say, okay, fair enough. You know, you can have a debate about Jared being in it. You'd have a debate about Roy Keane. You'd have a debate about Lampard. You can have a debate about De Bruyne. The thing is, 
he's in the debate and he's in that conversation. And I think that's really key for yeah. a player like him. Yeah, and it doesn't feel like there's a real weakness to his game. He's such a hard worker. He he just makes these chances for fun. He's been doing it for a long time now. Um, and I, this is something I talked about on another podcast before where I watched um, Man City beat Spurs 4-1 at the Etihad in late 2017. And it felt like the way De Bruyne was playing was almost like he was playing um, foosball and he was literally just picking the table up and just rolling the ball wherever he wanted it to go. And there was very few players, I think, that could ever have had that kind of effect on the game. I was just mesmerised. And he was playing against um, somebody who probably like, considered, like, not maybe a rival, but like a peer in Christian Eriksen that day. And it was just the, similar to the Odegaard debate you just said now. It's, it was not close. It, it's, he's on such a different level to these guys. He belongs in the kind of the all-time conversations with, like I said, the Gerrards, the Lampards, the Vieiras. Yeah, 100%. Would you have him as the best? Do you think he's the best? I think he's definitely top three, but I'd have to sit down and think more about it. I think there's such a, there's such a good argument for him being the best. I'd have to sit down and think about it for sure. Yeah, yeah. It's gonna it it's like I said about Salah as well. Um once his career ends and he tally up the numbers, he tally up the uh the the honors and he also just tally up the fact that we've seen him play so many times. Uh it's gonna be it's gonna be really, really interesting in like say ten years time if yeah. a player like a Patrick Vera drops out of the conversation. And a player like De Bruyne becomes like indefinably the main point in the conversation. Yeah, I think this is something that I did an interview with Ledley King a few months ago, and I was talking to him about, you know, does he think Kane's the best Spurs player of all time? And he just kind of made this point where it's like, when you're a player, you see it differently. You don't want to get in that debate until everything's done, until you're retired, until you can kind of lay out all your body at work. You don't want to be premature about things or react while things are still going on. So. Yeah, when, once he's once all is said and done, I'm sure that he will have a really good case for that number one spot, I guess. 100%. So, Sean, we move on to the top two now. It's amazing there's two players ahead of the Browner, but I think it, I think yeah. they're both I think they're both justifiable, so they are. I think they are. <laughs> yeah. So, at number two, Sean, we have another Milan player, and we've been very uh, AC Milan heavy today, but, you know, with the performances they put in, particularly in the Champions League, this month and how eye catching um, the performances were. I think it's really hard to um, argue with the fact that three AC Milan players can be in this. We've seen over the past month or so doing the the team the team rankings as well that they've been top three pretty much the whole time because of those level of performances. And their key man and probably the key reason behind it all has been Rafa Leal, who in many ways, is probably, for me anyways, is probably the most exciting player to watch in Europe right now. It feels like every time he gets the ball in and around the halfway line, you feel like he might score. And that's an insane thing. But every time he does get the ball on that left-hand side of the halfway line, you're like, okay, you kind of sit up a wee bit and think, okay, mm. he might actually do something. And there's the reason for that is because he's done it. He's done it a few times this this month alone. He did it. I think the the really standout one is the one he did against Napoli, where he got the ball. Uh, Tangy and Dombele did his usual Tangy and Dombele thing. Lost the ball in the middle of the park. Couldn't track back. <laughs> and, Doesn't sound like him. 
It doesn't. <laughs> then uh, Raphael got the ball uh, just inside his own half, beat half the Napoli team, and then had the wherewithal to find the right pass at the right time to give Milan the goal he needed to go on and make the Champions League semi-final. And then I think it was maybe three or four days later, they came up against Lecce, who are by no means a good football team. I'm not going to sit here and say <laughs> that like he's doing it against Pep Guardiola's AC Milan or something when he does it against Lecce, but he got the ball against Lecce in the halfway line, ran the length of the pitch, got into the left-hand side of the penalty area, and instead of passing it this time, he drilled it into the bottom corner. And it just felt inevitable when he did it. When he got the ball, I kind of knew he was going to score and it's so exciting to have a player like that in Europe and especially in latter stages of Champions League when there are going to be times where we'll all be watching that Champions League semi-final against Inter. There will be mm. times where he gets the ball in the halfway line and you'll think, okay, here we go. And there's not a lot of players in the world that you get that feeling with. There's a lot, a lot of players even on this list that we're looking at right now yeah. who you get that feeling off. And Raphael has that. And I think the, the closest to a player like him that I've seen in recent times has probably been, I don't know, we're talking about an all-time player here, um, but he reminds me of Gareth Bale when Gareth Bale was at his physical peak. And every time he got the ball anywhere on the left-hand side, no matter where he was, no matter if he was beside his own corner flag or not, you felt like your team could score every time. Just that burst. The ability to do it from halfway is, as I said, that's what separates him from like just other really, really good wingers, you know? Um, and he does have a chance this month to really kind of cement himself as one of the best players in the world. You know, if he if he's the main reason Milan wants to go through to the Champions League final, let's say, he's all of a sudden in a lot of is he the best player in the world? Is it where does he rank in the top ten kind of things? Um, the other thing I'm thinking the whole way through the last few months of watching him and Milan finally put some results together, he must be so relieved that he did not move to Chelsea. Oh, for sure. My God. Like, what a disaster. And it, the thing is, he was he seemed like very, very, very keen on making a move a few months mm. ago. Didn't come to fruition. He kind of threw a bit of a strop for a while, I think it's fair to say. And since then, it, it ended up being that Milan had his best interests at heart because they probably knew themselves <laughs> that they were an infinitely better football team and well-run club than Chelsea are currently. Yeah, it's, 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 it's funny how these things play out. It's funny how a player can think that a move could make them when in fact a move like that could have broken them in a lot of ways because I think now, right at this moment, this stock's higher than it has ever been. And you'll see it now in the next few months. He's looks dead certain he sent a new contract at the club and commit long term. And if he's right, if he's like the right place for him to be, if he's like even though he's not in the Premier League where all the, the big big money is and all the main attention is in those Champions League games that really is where it all really matters more and week to week football doesn't matter as much as it does when you come up against Napoli in a Champions League quarter final and yeah. you're the star of the show that gets people talking way more than a performance against Bournemouth on a Sunday does or a performance <laughs> against Lecce does as well. Like yeah. even the way I um, structured talking about Liao, the first thing they talk about was what he did against Napoli. And then mm. the addendum was that, oh, he also did it against Lecce. Mm. And I think he's not just putting 
himself on the map as well. He's putting Milan back on the map. I think that's the really kind of big thing with this, that he is one of the best players in the world, but he's also made this major club, you know, this club for, for so many years. It seemed like they were never going to come back. You know, they finished, I think they finished 10th one year in Syria yeah. in the mid-2010s. Yeah. It looked as if that was it. Yeah. yeah, it would take a kind of miracle. Like They'd have to be bought out by a state or something for them to come back and just spend loads of money. And that's not been the case, you know. He was the Serie A MVP last year as Milan won their first Scudetto in over a decade. He, you know, maybe hasn't started the season as well, but in these big games towards the end of the season, when it has really, really, really mattered to put Milan back in that Champions League conversation, it's been so long since Milan were considered a major side in the, in the Champions League as well as Italy. That is huge. That is really kind of putting, putting it all on your back, dragging them to it and... I will be shocked if in the next few years, you know, the likes of Man City, Real Madrid aren't at least kind of linked. If they aren't kind of, you don't get the stories of just like, oh, they're looking at him or you get like a Real Madrid legend say, oh, you know, he's really got Real Madrid DNA about him, you know. That's the way, yeah. that's always the key one. Front page of Martha. <laughs> yeah. day for a month. Trying it's to like a presidential campaign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> the Real Madrid way. Yeah, he does. He feels like he can hit that stratosphere. And like you said, um, how do you do that is by going out and getting Ace Milan to the final and going out and being the match winner against Inter when you know that those games are going to be some of the most memorable games in the club's history playing against your inner city rivals in the Champions League semi-final. It doesn't get much bigger than that. Everyone yeah. remembers the ones from the early 2000s. I remember mm. Dita getting hit with a flare, etc. And <laughs> these games will be remembered in the same light. Hopefully no one will get hit with a flare, but hopefully some good goals will be scored. And I, can, I, I think if anyone's going to really turn it on in those games, it's going to be Rafa Leal. So they... Yeah, for sure. Um, anything to add on him before we move on to number one? I think we've been nice enough to AC Milan. I think we've been nice enough. Nice <laughs> Just the three yeah. players this week. I uh, know. Take good yeah. Okay, let's move on to number one. It has to be Erling Haaland. Now has the record combined with Andy Cohen and Shearer for the most Premier League goals in a single season, up to 34. Huge performances last month um, against Bayern Munich and Arsenal in two of City's biggest games of the season so far. And it wasn't just that he was scoring in those games. It was all around contribution, particularly in that Arsenal game. I, I didn't know he could really do that against that level of opposition. And you might say, oh, he's up against Rob Holding all game. But I think the pressure that was on City to win that, to ensure that they, they could close the gap on Arsenal, to ensure that the title was back in their own hands, just really, really impressive. Because this is someone who, you know, there was, it was only about a month ago that people talked about, are City better off without him? Are they more entertaining without him? Um, it's something that I kind of at least entertained a little early in the season because it did seem like, all he was doing was standing in the middle waiting for cutbacks. It did seem like an ultra kind of version of Raheem Sterling in that first year we really exploded with City. But to his credit, has really seems to have worked hard and developed his game. Um, and you talked about the partnership with De Bruyne. It's something that I think Peppers had in his mind for a while, because I don't know if you remember, they opened the season against Liverpool in the Community Shield. And in that game, Pep went for a 4-4-1-1 with De Bruyne right in the 10, right up high with Haaland. And Haaland, he missed a few like really, really good chances. And you're wondering, oh, is it, was he, is it, is it there? Um, whereas Darwin Nunez came on for Liverpool, was causing all sorts of mayhem and scored a goal. 
Um, and you were, and people were kind of, you know, people took their corners like, oh, Harden's going to flop. There's obviously someone that we know who said on TV, Harden would do well to score 15 goals in the Premier League this season. Um, <laughs> I, 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 yeah, yeah it's, I think we always knew that he was going to score goals. Mm-hmm. My big concern was, can he add other things to his game, which he has, and can he stay fit because he had quite, quite a patchy injury record before. And for the most part, he has stayed fit. I think, um, like you said, um, the big thing for me for a while is, and I think it's just because of how close the Ronaldo United experiment was to Holland signing. Yeah, yeah, is true, actually. Yeah. You know he'll score goals, but will the team score less goals because he's scoring so many goals? Yeah. Like the Ronaldo one was something crazy. Like he scored like 20 all goals in the season, but the club itself actually scored 15 last Premier League goals. This was a talking point earlier in the season. You're right. I do remember this now. I had completely forgot about because I completely forgot about Ronaldo for the last six months of my life. Yeah, it's Matt. He was also at United this year. It's been the longest yeah, Premier I know. It's strange, isn't it? of all time. Um, and yeah, it was it was that thing of like, can can the team like can his goals be additional to the team goals? And yeah. it's taken a while to work it out. But I think to his credit in particular, he has developed so many other sides of his game and become a better player and become the player that Man City needed him to be and not just resting on his laurels in any way, because he has the skill set to be indefinably the best striker of his generation. He's mm. lightning quick and behind. He is gigantic. He's deadly in front of goal, can finish with both feet. He's pretty good in the air as well. And it's just like we were talking about all I walk in, is you have all these skills, now put them together and have the confidence and back yourself enough to put them together. And if he's like Haaland has done that and has worked it all out and become, I think, one of the main things that he's really shown recently has been just a bit more aggression in his game, a bit more willingness to really, really battle with defenders and with a player that has frame. When he goes in and actually actively battles with defenders, he's going to beat them like nine times out of ten. You've seen it with, um, in particular, Diet Meccano during the Champions League. Like oh, he was God, quite yeah. good. Like domestically, he was playing yeah, the best football of his high. career. Yeah, he's he's playing really, really well. And it just felt like Holland just like mentally broke him in those two games. Like mm. just completely zapped him of any sort of confidence that he had. And then Massey really exploit that. And it's those small things that yeah, like look, there'll be games where Holland will score four or five goals like he did against, I think it was Leipzig in the other round of the Champions League, but mm. it's those games where he can like really like <laughs> like mentally break uh, yeah. defence single-handedly, and he might only score one goal, but that goal will be worth so much, and will actually, the goal and the work that he's put in will be worth to the team probably three or four goals. Yeah, I think the, the example I'm thinking of is at the weekend... Uh, Man City beat Fulham 2-1 Holland scored a penalty in the first minute and Fulham were just terrified of him they mm-hmm. were like the way that they were defending their shape was just bending to kind of try and contain him and he, he didn't score a goal again but he was just the effect that he had on them they were, really did not want to play that game yeah. and I think it kind of lent to they were so frantic that it led to um, they lost the ball in midfield Man City quickly countered Julian Alvarez scored a really incredible lob from about 25 yards um but i think it was kind of they were just so worried about 
if the ball reaches him as quick as possible, we're doomed. And that's yeah. just really like a really kind of intangible effect that he has. And I think that the thing that I've been thinking of a long time now is we came away from the World Cup thinking Messi will probably win the Ballon d'Or. And if it's not Messi, it'll probably be Mbappe because he went so to toe with him like that. And we place so much importance on these um, big international tournaments. I am now thinking that there's going to be quite a close race, particularly if Haaland leads City to the treble. I think that would be really hard to ignore. If City falls short in one of those competitions, I think it'll be closer. But I think if he gets to the treble, I think that he may have overtaken them in the kind of the running for it. I think it's fair. I think um, a lot of it will go down to like, what have you done for me lately? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The fact that it's we Messi and Mbappe, um, not a lot is the answer to that question. Yeah, whereas yeah. Haaland's been super, super consistent this season. I think in terms of like all time debate, um, those World Cup moments and going and scoring a hat trick in the World Cup final and all, they'll hold like an Mbappe, for example, all time ranking best players of all time. Mbappe's more in that conversation than a Haaland is right now. But mm. in terms of the Ballon d'Or, I think you're right. I think doing it this consistently over a season and doing it in the Champions League, and if you go out and win the treble, it's you can't deny it. The World Cup was so far away in comparison to when the Champions League is. Like it feels <laughs> yeah. like even now we were talking about like the start of April feeling like a lifetime ago. Uh, like the World Cup feels like it happened like 15 years ago. It <laughs> yeah, feels like yeah, it yeah. never happened. So with that in mind, like yeah, I can I can 100 percent see him overtaken in the rankings, and especially if he he goes out and he wins that game against Real Madrid, and he goes out and then he scores a winner in the final of the Champions League and uh, puts in another dominant performance in the FA Cup final, which I imagine he does, and I imagine they do win the Premier League at this point as well. It feels like yeah, he should be there, and I think um, I think one thing that Messi did really well for a number of years um, has been. You know, when he was in that riding that wave of one and Ballon d'Or after Ballon d'Or after Ballon d'Or, it felt like there would maybe be an all player who would maybe finish the season a bit better. The one that really springs to mind is probably Frank Ribery. Um, the year they won the Champions League, he was exceptional. Mm. And yeah. when that season finished, it felt like he was going to win it. It felt like, how could you look past Frank Ribery for winning this trophy? But then you have, you still have like another like two, three months at the start of the season where you're still playing football. And it felt like every year Messi was the person who was scoring all the goals at that time of the year. When it comes to the voting process, the first player you think of is the player who's done the most for you lately. And Messi felt like he was always that player. I think this time round, it's probably going to be Haaland because Haaland will finish this season really strongly and might at the end of the season you might think it has to be Haaland. But you know come August, September, October, etc., he will still be scoring goals at a ridiculous rate, and that's, cha- that's changed success. now. It's, that's going to help him though, because it has changed. Has it changed now? It's, cha- it's not, they're doing it on a season basis now, so that will help him in that regard too. Ah, ah because right, he is the okay. one ending the season. That, if anything, that helps because it means Messi or Mbappe can't start the next season that strongly. So and you can't, you and yeah. And yeah. Well, if it if it's that now, which I don't know, uh, if it's that now, then if he wins the Champions League, I don't think there's. I don't think there should be a debate about it too much. Yeah. I think the people who have who are going to vote Messi have already decided they're going to vote Messi. And I think mm-hmm. Haaland will take the rest of the undecided votes, for sure. Yeah, yeah, he should. It should, he should. It, it'll, it'll just be about what is that split. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it'll be close no. one this year because usually no. it's not very close, but this year it will be close. Yeah, and Holland should definitely be right up there, one hundred percent. Yeah, because that will be the debate. So we're just getting in early on that. <laughs> you said it first. Okay, I think I think we're all done there. Got through ten yeah, players. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, that's we're our ten. Rest. So, well, I'll run through your ten. They finish up with. We'll run through the ten. So Let's in tenth, in tenth place, Davide Calabria, Basie Milan. In ninth, Atletico Madrid's Antoine Griezmann. In eighth, Alexander Isak of Newcastle United. Seven, Mohamed Salah of Liverpool. Six, Mike Mannion of AC Milan. Five, Aston Villa's Ollie Watkins. Four, Karim Benzema of Real Madrid. Three, Kevin De Bruyne of Manchester City. Two, Rafael Lau of AC Milan. And number one, Erling Haaland of Manchester City. I like it. I'm happy. I'm happy. I don't think anyone else will be happy. I don't think Twitter will be very happy or <laughs> any sort of social media will be very happy. But no one, no one's ever happy. No one's ever happy. And it's Gans. It's for April. Look, not everyone play well in April. And these players did. So credit where it's due. Exactly. Okay. Thank you for listening, everyone. Um, we will be back later this week with our usual teams podcast. So um, if you haven't left a review and rating, please do. It helps us a lot. And we will see you next time. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc